Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org slash restore for tickets and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, this is Aubrey Chavez from Faith Matters. For today's episode, we brought on Carl Youngblood for a conversation we've been wanting to have for a long time. Carl has spent most of his life helping to build and operate technology companies and has done a lot of deep thinking and writing about how technology is shaping our reality and our future, including how it will affect what it means to be human. Digital technology companies, including behemoths like Facebook, are staking their futures on pushing the boundaries of virtual reality and artificial intelligence. Their project is to create a new reality for human beings, what has come to be called the metaverse. We brought Carl on to talk about what all of this means. What are the implications for our families and institutions? What are the implications for our faith? And how might the theology of the restored gospel inform how we move forward into this new reality? And what about the technologies that may offer the possibility to dramatically extend our lifespans? What does a faith that honors the centrality of God's creation and that honors death as an essential part of the foreordained plan have to say? These are huge and sobering questions, but they're also really exciting to explore. Bill Turnbull, one of the founders of Faith Matters, also joined us for this conversation. Carl is a co-founder of the Mormon Transhumanist Association, an organization founded to consider the intersection between our faith and the frontiers of technology. MTA is hosting a conference in Provo this spring on Saturday, March 19th, at which nationally recognized experts on things like blockchain, crypto, and Web3 will be addressing the implications of these technologies for society, and by extension, for our faith. I'll tell you more about how to register for the conference at the end of the episode. Faith Matters has no affiliation with MTA and offers no opinion on their approach, but we really want to acknowledge their efforts in addressing some of the biggest questions of our day. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoy this conversation with Carl Youngblood. Well, Carl, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. It's our pleasure. Um, this this conversation grew out of a, a lunch conversation that we had previously um, on really a lot of the same topics. And we thought that it was so interesting talking with you that uh, we needed to bring you in the studio and actually and actually hash some of this out. Um, one good place to, to preface this uh, may be an, an, a news item that's that's been circulating. And that is that, that Facebook, the uh, ubiquitous social media network has actually changed its, na- changed its name uh, to Meta. A lot of people might wonder um, why that is, and let's so let's talk a little bit about Meta about about the metaverse. But once we sort of talk about what's what's gone on there, then we'll change the direction of the conversation a little bit and get into how this affects our our spirituality and our and our faith, which is obviously why we're bringing it to, to uh, Faith Matters. Um, so could you talk a little bit about about what happened with Facebook? What's the metaverse? All of that to start. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, Facebook recently announced a name change to Meta and talked about this concept called the Metaverse. And it's been referred to in various um, terms, but I think one of the most common industry terms is like virtual reality as well as augmented reality. So VR and AR. Okay. And uh, the concept is that, you know, our experiences um, in computing, uh, especially in like gaming and other kinds of um, immersive settings are becoming more and more indistinguishable from reality, right? And uh, Facebook has been working in this space for a few years now already. They have um, one of their like lead devs, John Carmack, is really famous as a, a kind of gaming developer, and he's been working really heavy in this space. And they've been doing some great work that 
is making it possible for everyday people to kind of like experience VR in a less, you know, it used to be like extremely expensive to buy this equipment It's getting mm-hmm. cheaper. Um, and, uh, and I've tried it. It's, it's pretty fun. I, you know, I still find that it's a little bit clunky, right? You got this big headset on, right. Mm-hmm. Like make it so that you are seeing, you know, you're kind of immersed into the environment. Um, but the idea is that this trend is just going to continue and it's going to become more and more, um, similar to the, 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 you know, everyday life that we're experiencing right now. Um, and, uh, who knows, but someday it might be almost indistinguishable from, uh, the, the experiences that, you know, we're having at the table here, just talking to each other. So that's kind of, but also maybe enhanced in ways like, yeah, why would you just want to replicate your own experience if you could have a mm. a different, well, definitely. I mean, in, in, I would say it, it, every new technology has allowed us to do things that we couldn't do before. So like a great example is email, right? I, with email, I can reach someone anywhere on the globe, um, in, in moments. And, um, you know, it used to, you used to have to wait to send a paper letter. I mean, mm-hmm. I think some of us here are old enough to have, you know, written actual, maybe a couple letters. of us. I don't, I don't know about everybody else. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's amazing to be able to reach people, but at the same time, in email, as we all know, we've often failed to convey all of the intent that we had and sometimes caused problems because we like wrote something a little hastily and then it was misinterpreted mm-hmm. by the other person. Um, mm-hmm. So we use emojis or whatever else to kind of like fill in the <laughs> right. gaps. Yeah. And so like it was a new technology that enabled awesome new things, but it also had some drawbacks or differences between say talking to someone on the phone or whatever it was that we did before. and. I think in a similar way, virtual reality, uh, it allows us to like talk as though we were face to face with someone who might be very far away from us. Right. But it also introduces, you know, new challenges. And I'm sure we can imagine what some of those are. We've maybe experienced some of those and probably there's stuff we haven't even thought of that right. is also going to be a challenge. Right. So, yeah. so I wonder, you know, I'm looking, I'm thinking back to all of, you know, the, the technological developments of the last 30 years, like, you know, making long distance phone calls even versus FaceTime. Like there, there, it, there are a lot of ways that it feels like that kind of technology really brought us together and made us more connected. But is it possible that like we've reached some sort of tipping point where it's actually becoming disconnecting? You know, like even Facebook, when it first, when it first came out, it was so exciting and connecting because you could find people that you had, you would, you really had no way to find, like they were just gone from your life. And it was so fun to, to dig up old relationships and, and make these connections and, and like have real friendships with these people. But it seems like there's a way that we've sort of like crossed over to the other side. And now even our, you know, we, I feel like everywhere we go, you'll see like groups of teenagers that are together and all on their phones in their virtual friendships, you know, like messaging each other and they're sitting next to a real relationship. So I just, is it possible that like in this case, the evolution of technology is actually more disconnecting than than connecting. I mean, I, maybe I, for the first time, even. I definitely think that that's a significant challenge with this new technology. Um, you know, it's it's interesting that a lot of people talked about how they found their tribe on the internet, right? And yeah. some folks, especially who felt a little marginalized or different from maybe their community wherever they happen to be, could suddenly find the other hundred weirdos in the world who are just <laughs> yeah. like them. Right. Yeah. And so that was amazingly validating for these people. But at the same time, um, you know, if we find ourselves more and more connected and online and interacting with these other folks, then sometimes our 
the relationships in our immediate vicinity might suffer as a result, mm. right? And um, and then also just the fact that uh, we're we seem to be like always seeking, craving novelty and um, seeking new information. And so, like, I think there's also a kind of dopamine rush that we get from mm, yeah. um, seeing the new things that are happening, even if when you look back, you're like, actually, that wasn't really that useful. That the last hour I spent <laughs> scrolling my Facebook right. feed didn't really help me that much. Um, but at the time it's like really, you know, it's for some reason it's kind of addictive. And so I think both of those things that, um, potentially could sort of, um, cause harm to our other relationships, right. Or just to our ability to like get outside and, um, you know, have an experience in the, in the actual world and stay healthy and other things like that. So, um, I think it's a really big challenge, uh, and the question of like where it becomes, more negative than positive is is difficult to answer, right? But I yeah, think we see that. Well, yeah. paint us a picture of where the metaverse is going. Like, what is this <clears throat> vision? What could be possible in this? Yeah. Metaverse? So I think that it's really amazing. I mean, I I think the goal is to pr- um, provide a more and more realistic experience um, that eventually would be almost indistinguishable from our our actual embodiment. Our bodily experience so uh you know it you know right now we're kind of trying to approximate it by putting a screen in front of your eyes and but you can imagine some way of possibly tapping into a a person's nervous system to the point where they really would feel like they were seeing and hearing and touching and um all experiencing all the things that they so all of the senses we have now would there be new senses as well or (laughs) possibly (laughs) although it's like what would they be like? Yeah. We hardly even conceive of what that might be, but yeah, perhaps, you know? So pleasure, you can imagine yeah. deriving a lot of pleasure that mm-hmm. maybe, maybe most of the pleasure you, you receive in life, you can imagine receiving that in these virtual networks. Right. And, and an especially like kind of concerning aspect of that is um, this, this notion that it's possible to potentially stimulate the pleasure centers of the brain directly without having to actually experience anything in a way. And so, um, and there's a term in the sort of circle of people who talk about this stuff called wireheading, which is talking about just this and and the danger that it could be that people could become very addicted to that and sort of bypass everything and almost like stop living and just kind of just be seeking the next. You you could basically live most of your life there. You yeah. still have to like every once in a while go to the bathroom or something like that. Like check out something to eat. <laughs> well, maybe you just hook up the <laughs> just catheter. Maybe the catheter. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's scary to think about. Right? So. Is there is there an idea that you could actually upload your consciousness uh, eventually into this, and you you become that that becomes like a yeah like so, the next iteration of you, and you're some immortal or like what what definitely where, does this, where does this thing go? I mean, there there are some folks who talk about this. There's even some interesting TV shows that have been made. Yeah. like Amazon Prime Video, I think, recently had this show of a guy who um, died somehow in a freak accident, but then he was uploaded to this place, you know, and I can't remember what it was called, but anyway, um, yeah. So it's in the collective, like popular consciousness right now, this idea that, you know, could we eventually be uploaded to a computer? Right. And my, my sort of response to that is that um, it, it, it is a possibility, but it would need to be an experience that is at least as rich as what we're having right now if we were to ever do that, right? And I'm not ruling it out as a possibility, but I'm just saying like 
there are many amazing things. I mean, I think we all still feel like being alive is pretty amazing. Most of us, hopefully, you know. Um, <laughs> there obviously, are lot, there, there are, are a lot of people that like to numb and check out of life. Out of yeah. yeah. And if they had a yeah. compelling alternate reality mm-hmm. that maybe didn't present some of the challenges that life presents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe an well, increasing number been, of people would do that. There's been some interesting <clears throat> explorations of this in science fiction as well, where like the idea that if you were placed in some kind of computational alternate reality, if it didn't provide you with all of the stim- all the different sensory inputs that your brain currently expects, that it could actually cause insanity or other other no. problems, right? So um, I think it would need to be something that didn't um, sort of that was sufficient that fooled your brain enough to think that it was whatever it was experiencing was really real. Yeah, I mean, and this gets this gets to the nature of of reality itself and what we experience yeah. as reality, right? Yeah. Like uh, one sort of uh, funny analogy, maybe. Well, starting with like the Matrix, mm-hmm. right? Which I've seen on VidAngel, obviously. <laughs> but um, it's like uh, Neo is offered. Uh, basically the choice so that he discovers that he's living in a purely computed world mm-hmm. and that he his own body is a computation but his actual body is is somewhere else just being fed signals right yeah, and he's not, yeah. he doesn't have any real life whatsoever mm-hmm. and within the simulation he's offered <clears throat> the choice to continue living um in the computation and not even realize it and yeah. and basically the comp- the, the mat- that's called the matrix right mm-hmm. and it's just as real as everything that we're experiencing right now and it seems as the viewer in that moment that you obviously you wouldn't take that right obviously you would go for the real reality which is his body sitting in a plastic container somewhere because that's real and it must be more fulfilling regardless of how bleak it is and then just to contrast that there's i don't know if you guys have watched the office at all but there is an there is an opening scene or i think it's a deleted scene actually um where one of jim's classic pranks on dwight is that he makes dwight believe that he's actually living in the matrix he it's this elaborate stage thing and when the, the moment comes for dwight to choose do i keep living in the matrix or do i uh or do i experience this greater reality dwight says look i've got a great life i've got a job i love i'm engaged to the woman i love is kind of how he frames it and he says i'm just going to keep living in the matrix and jim obviously is shocked because he has uh the the rest of the prank is all laid out and and (laughs) dwight sort of for the first time doesn't go through with it but like the question is like if we can actually replicate we're gonna refer to that episode in the show notes i assume (laughs) yeah exactly i think we need to (laughs) we'll also link to the matrix the vidangel version um And I I guess the question is, like, if we get to a point where we can replicate reality so perfectly in all of our senses, then is there some inherent virtue in reality itself Mm. over this replicated reality? And does our spirituality and our faith have something to say about that? I'm not sure what the answer Mm. is. Uh, Is what we're experiencing now really the bedrock of reality or is there more? Um, And what shape might that take? And I think that for those of us who've already come or who are coming from a religious background where we've been taught that we've been given here on this mortal sphere an opportunity to grow and progress and learn, it sounds an awful lot like maybe we were inhabiting <laughs> some other realm and that we were embodied here. And who knows, we were placed into a VR machine or something, you know, in order to 
we're already in a simulation. Elon Musk, I think, said that. I think we're already in a simulation. Which is there's there's an interesting argument. You know, uh, can we can we stipulate that we like at least for purposes of the conversation that we're not living in a simulation? (laughs) This is an actual conversation. (laughs) I can't prove it. I don't know. (laughs) So anyway, but um, it it does allow for the possibility of things that seem miraculous to actually make sense. If that makes sense. Well, and philosophers. And uh, have sort of been getting at this for a long, long time, too, in the sense that what, whatever, whatever it is that we're experiencing right now may not be as real as what, what may be to come, right? So right. Plato's cave, like, for what, what we might be experiencing is relative to what we could experience in the future. I mean, and this obviously gets into faith very heavily, very quickly, but like, might just be shadows on a wall. And, and C.S. Lewis in the, in the last battle, in the final book of the Chronicles of Narnia, sort of describes their progression as after they've sort of completed their mortal journey into these sort of successive kingdoms that are more and more and more real, yeah, you know? And I think, I don't think that's too far off what, you know, uh, Latter-day Saint theology has to say about it. Right. Now the one caution I would give about this sort of Shadowlands concept is that I think one of the dangers of it, and it's a, it's a perennial problem for religious folks is this idea that, um, if, if you really discount the experience we're, experience we're having right now and say it's less real than heaven or wherever we want to get to, we can start to get to the point where whatever is happening in this world is not that important. And we just need to wait for right. the right. next world. And um, it can become a kind of form of escapism. Um, and so even if whatever awaits us is wonderful and glorious, I think it's really important that we um, don't completely disconnect the present, our present state with that future state. And in fact, I see the Christian message as one that says that we are supposed to be renewing um, and the new Jerusalem is here. You know, the new, the new um, kingdom or world that we anticipate is something we're supposed to be building and contributing to right now and here. And it's not something that happens in some ethereal realm that's somewhere else and so um so i think we're being called to actually yeah uh transform the world rather than escape it if that makes sense mm. yeah so, that's a really good point can, can i uh, how quickly is this on our doorstep I, I i have two questions and the first one is this sounds like it's wait it's out there like it's science fiction but it's becoming less and less science fiction and more reality and when when large companies are building their future around it right now, yeah. uh, it, it's something we need to take much more seriously than we perhaps did. And then I want to, I just want to explore, like, what is this fundamental human impulse that is pushing us in this direction? Like, I wonder if we can even identify that. That seems an important question. Definitely. Um, well, I, I love the way, I mean, there's some interesting scriptural parallels here as well, where we, you know, sometimes talks about like the, the events of the last days coming as a thief in the night, right? Like all of a sudden everything's happening. Right. And I think that um, in a similar way, the progress in the arc of technology and development happens. It, it often surprises us because, you know, we think, uh, I think our brains are conditioned to kind of think linearly where we're basically just thinking, Oh yeah. You know, the, the next hundred years of, of technological progress will be similar to say the last hundred years but what actually happens is that each generation uses the tools that have been invented to do things even faster than the generation previous. So you think about how hard it is to maybe 
build a new company today and all the tools that are at your disposal, it's like way easier than it was even a few decades ago. And um, so, so each, you know, that, that is an accelerating um, trend. And so it looks more exponential than linear, right? Yeah. And the weird thing about exponentials is that, you know, it seems like nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden, from like one day to the next, it's sudden everything changes, you know? And so I think it is um, good to be concerned about that and that we actually have to fight against our natural human impulses and be vigilant because um, we're not used to that kind of uh, trajectory, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what about the, yeah, I want to, I want to hear what you think about his second question. Like why, why do we, why do we like want to change so quickly and grow? Like what is it in us? Do you think that makes us feel so motivated to just find out what's next, even if we're not even sure if it will necessarily be good for us? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I almost want to say that, I'm not even sure if it's like something we want to do so much as just an an inevitability. Like it's just Mm. the way things progress. They seem to progress in kind of an an exponential way. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I I think that probably Facebook, you know, to bring it back to this particular question about the metaverse, um, which by the way, like that term metaverse, I, I guess there was, a few companies and other places that had the same term in their logos. That's what I heard. Yeah. Obliterated by (laughs) (laughs) Facebook or yeah, someone had an Instagram account with that name and she lost it. And, you know, anyway, but, um, but yeah, suddenly when they get into it, you know, everyone wonders like how concerned should we be about this? But, um, well, I I mean, I I have grandchildren and I have to consider the possibility that they're going to be, um, lured into this new, you know, that mm-hmm. this is just going to be a natural part of their experience, this increasing engagement with the, with the metaverse. Right. So if that's something that is, is on our doorstep, like that has profound mm-hmm. implications, you know, moral and otherwise very, some really practical ones too. Yeah. But, um, I'm, I don't like, I, I don't know if I'm satisfied by your answer to the question <laughs> of what that impulse is, that it's mm-hmm. just some sort of inevitable thing that's well, built into us. I mean, what, I, oh, I would, I'm really curious about like, what is that impulse that wants us to get beyond present experience to like, and does it get, does it get hijacked? Is there some impulse that's like getting, that's a, it's a natural and even noble impulse that's getting hijacked here. I'm curious. Hmm. I'm just deeply, deeply curious. About yeah. That. Well, the cynic in me, and I, I imagine that I'm representing some listeners views here when I say that there's an element there may be an element of greed in a system of unfettered capitalism that allows this to happen, right? <laughs> like, where's Facebook's next advertising dollar c- coming from? You know, you're like, they've, they've had very negative trends in the past year with the sort of disappearance of web cookies, their ability to like track people as effectively. And so you can imagine a board meeting pretty easily, I think, at Facebook that says, okay, well, we can't, we can no longer grow, you know, 30, 50% a year, or whatever they've been doing. Uh, for the past, you know, five, 10 years, like where, where are we heading with this? And there doesn't seem to ever be any system in place with these uh, huge trillion dollar plus technology companies that says, that says, should we do this rather than can we do this? Mm-hmm. You know, and like should, and in American capitalism uh, or just uh, more generally than that, even should there be some sort of some, some question that we ask, you know, because uh, right, because right now we're heading, we're barreling there. Yeah, it's uh, legislation and regulation is obviously way behind. Can't right, can't keep up right. with the speed that you're talking about with mm-hmm. technology. And so how do we uh, how do we decide where it, 
if we actually want to go somewhere before we before we go there. Yeah. It's worth noting that what brought us together in you know for that lunch is that it was just a few weeks ago. Um, it was mm-hmm. that long ago, yeah. but but it was uh, on the heels of. Uh, <clears throat> Facebook and Instagram, it's other company, sister company, were being excoriated in the Congress, and it, yeah. it was, they'd been laid like their in, um, intentions and and the damages that social media have caused have, were being laid bare in front of the nation by journalists, by you know, by Congress, and and it, it just looked really bad for Zuckerberg and company, and. Um, and then in in the middle of that, he's almost like, oh wow, this isn't going to go well for us. Let's well, let's let's just be transparent about what our next step is, which is now metaverse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it sounds very ominous, right? But um, especially in the hands of large uh, corporations, we can talk about that. Our conversation went into like Web three and other things that are maybe a little bit more, possibly more hopeful. But the the metaverse idea is like, so so yeah. it, it, I don't. The the impulse. I don't know. Maybe we should just defer that question because I don't think we've. Really- I, I actually think it's a great question, and I it does deserve more attention. Um, and I think that we could go back. You know, we could cast our minds back to like the earliest, prim- most primitive state of humanity that we could imagine, and we could say that humans have always their reach has always exceeded their grasp, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so we've always wanted to. Uh, do something to bring our environment into a greater sense of control or to achieve our goals with it, right? And so um, sometimes people think of technology as like whatever is super advanced, but actually, you know, just clothing is a form of technology, right? Mm -hmm. And glasses and, you know, um, a peg leg or a, you know, a crutch or whatever, those are all forms of technology, but they're so you know, every day that we don't even think of them as that, that important. In fact, there's this funny quote from Douglas Adams where he's like, everything that was invented before you were born is basically old stuff. And everything that you could currently get a job at is like cool and fun. And then everything that hasn't been invented yet is crazy stuff that you would never imagine Mm -hmm. doing, you know? And so each of us based on where we were born and, you know, what we're used to having around, think of some things as unnatural and crazy and other things as um, old hat. Right. And so I think this tendency to want to, um, to want to just build tools that make life better is, is where that impulse comes from. And I think it's deeply, deeply human. In fact, I think that you almost can't pick a time period when, you know, we, we were truly and most quintessentially human. You can't Mm -hmm. say, Oh, that, you know, the 1500s is what it was like to be a human. And now we've just gone crazy and off the rails, right? It's right. Like, it's like um, each, there's something about humanity that transcends a specific time and place. It's almost an orientation that we have, that we want to always reach beyond, mm-hmm. right? And I think that impulse is is good, but it does have, um, it does have potential negative consequences, right? And we're constantly facing those challenges, right? I think that the history of humanity, as far as we've been able to determine it, is one of like, you know, inventing new things, but then side effects that are sometimes negative of those things, sometimes even the point of habitat destruction or um, extinction, mm-hmm. uh, other things like that. So they're, they're really big challenges. And um, so just to address that just general mm-hmm. topic, I think we could talk about it for a long time, but um, yeah, it's, 
it's not like all bad, but it definitely has a lot of potential negative consequences. Yeah. And are you are you mm-hmm. saying that you think in general that the pros outweigh the cons? And it, to the extent that this same system that we have in place where we're we're constantly reaching and developing new technologies is is the right system to have? I personally, well, I don't know if I wouldn't say that um, the way we've structured our society is like ideal or whatever. I think like you we were talking about some of the excesses of capitalism and other challenges like that. I definitely think there are other ways of doing things. In fact, you know, one interesting book that I've been reading lately is um, David Graeber's The Dawn of Everything. But he talks about and attempts to explore what we can say about the past, you know, ways that humans have organized themselves and point out that actually um, this particular trajectory we're on right now is only one of many and that people have organized themselves in very different ways in the past and and that it's possible for us to change um, the ways we organize ourselves. So I think that's an interesting and hopeful narrative, right? Um, and, and so I'm not saying that everything is like ideal the way it is right now, but I do think I'm generally an optimist in terms of like, I think that- That's true. He is, <laughs> he is very optimistic. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I love that about Carl. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And I actually think optimism is almost an imperative. It's like if if you take a pessimistic view that this is going to go nowhere fast and that we have no way of stopping this train we're on and everything's going to be bad, right? I think that ultimately that can become almost a self-fulfilling uh, mm-hmm. thing, right? That if if you can't see a better, op- a better alternative, then you're not even going to try to pursue it, right? <clears throat> And yeah. so, um, so I think optimism is, is something we should have, right? Can I, can I bring scripture into this? I, cause yeah. this, this comes from our lunch actually. Yeah, right? absolutely. But, but there's a scripture in John, I think it's John 10, nine or 10, mm-hmm. uh, where, where Jesus says, um, I can't remember exactly that, but he says, uh, a thief comes in. You talk about a thief in the night, right? Mm-hmm. I think this can come upon us. This right. like it's coming upon us faster than we imagine, like kind of like a thief in thief in the night. And then Jesus said, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And I'm just wondering if there's like, there is this impulse to experience life more abundantly. And my meditation teacher would like, uh, would, would, um, would say like life is full as it is. We, we want to, we're always like reaching for more, but if you can be, if you can realize life is full, um, then that 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 is that's that's enough that's sufficient for us right and we're we're looking for something to we're looking for it to be more than it is but i'm also open to this idea especially in the season of advent where advent's is like the season where we open our minds to new possibilities like christ coming into the world mm-hmm. and so is is it like am i trying to imagine this situation where technology could be like Christ entering the world in new ways and I should be open to it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always like, I'm trying to, trying to um, put on my Carl Jung blood, like uh, a <laughs> yeah. uh, way of looking at things. But, um, but, but then my, my, my mindfulness practice tells me like life is enough. And the way we don't need to create alternate realities. Um, this world is, we, we just begun to realize how, amazing this world is if we just become aware of it and open our eyes to it right why go why go out trying to create yeah. new reality so that's like my that's mm-hmm. where i kind of come back to yeah. well, yeah. and is there a danger sort of like carl was alluding to of, of saying like 
this great new virtual reality, vir virtual reality in the true sense, like is, is coming and it's going to be able to replicate everything we've got and more. <clears throat> does that, does that uh, lead me to discard what we've got here? Like we've only got one earth, like, mm -hmm. and within our vast, you know, fairly scientific, uh, vast realm of scientific knowledge, there's no other planet even close to like, like people talk about going to Mars and that sounds bleak, frankly yeah. to me. Yeah. Like yeah. how, like, is there not a danger if we're if we're willing to embrace the type of technology of throwing away the best thing we've got, mm -hmm. you know, right now, which is an incredible gift, I think, is the way that people of faith look at it. And that I mean, that seems like like I, I guess I'm realizing that I see social media as sort of like the seed of this metaverse that we're talking about. And so if the fruits of of, you know, being on your screen all the time and and disconnecting from real friendships are not good, then like, how is this? down the line, how is this going to be something that is actually life-giving and feeds our soul? If, you know, if we're already like really struggling and like, you know, mental health wise, we're having so many new issues that, that seem to be directly caused by our, our social media consumption, especially in teens. So it just feels like if that's the seed, like what are we planting? Yeah. I mean, I, I share a lot of these concerns. Um, and what's interesting is that you almost have to wait until you're in the middle of them before you even realize that it's a problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You know, we, it, it's interesting that a lot of um, reactions to these kind of technology gone awry um, are that we need to kind of go back to a more pristine ideal state that we imagine for ourselves. Right. And, um, and a lot of those are almost like, once again, kind of escapist in the sense that, they often imagine the good old days in a way that's like not even exactly accurate, right? Um, they forget that in those good old days, there were other challenges and other problems and people died of all sorts of diseases or whatever that we mm -hmm. don't have now. And so um, I don't, I don't want to say that these fears are unwarranted and, and that these concerns aren't real or aren't important at all, but just more say that we can only go forward. Um, from the point we find ourselves in and um, that we need to seek to actively shape the tools that we build to make our lives better. And I think uh, we are seeing some people try to do this, right? Um, we're seeing people react to some of this, um, the ways that we get us, you know, engrossed in our devices and stuff. We're already seeing like Apple, for example, build features into iOS that actually help you focus or that like say i don't want to be bothered by someone texting me right now like please go away you know mm -hmm. um so i think i think this is on everyone's minds and they're moving towards it probably in halting steps right we're still not doing everything we could we still need to do more and we're still going to have a lot of problems in the future uh but i don't know how to go backwards you know does that <laughs> right does yeah that, that's a great does point. our religion have anything helpful is there anything unique about our religion that can inform this <laughs> this headlong rush into this like is there a perspective that we offer the world that could be actually like salvific you know yeah um, well one one aspect of um just lds theology that i, th I find very uh, inspiring is the idea that the physical is not something dirty or um or inferior or something that's only transitory right now, but that, that actually spirit and body inseparably connected are how to receive a fullness of joy in the only way. Right. And so I, I think that 
all of the experiences we're having here um, where we're you know, interacting with the world and trying to shape things, um, hopefully for the better, is part of this, this inevitable journey that we have to be on and that we shouldn't be trying to escape the world so much as, well, once again, transform it into a world that more perfectly resembles uh, Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And all the things we, we hope for, basically. Yeah. Because it seem, does seem like, now, Aubrey, this is like, especially for, I, this, this might especially resonate with um, women. women, right? Because women's experience is so embodied, like, right? I think particularly of conception and like the, when, when you, when you conceive and deliver a child, it's like you're almost, it's, it's a brush with death kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it's very, it's a very um, physical experience and nurturing those lives and it's it's hard it's easy to look at the where the direction this is going is very disembodied which is exactly the opposite direction that our religion says to go like we we came here to be embodied actually and to live in this body and experience and death even experience death right death is our teacher um it's it's hard like it's easy to imagine this this technology going in a direction where where we no longer uh, like we sort of try to eliminate suffering and we try to eliminate those things and death and those things that actually teach us the most deeply. And we really, since we really believe in that to an extent that I don't think, I don't think, think I've seen that reflected in any other Christian faith, that affirmation of embodiment and even, and even death, for example, we look at a forest and we see the trees, we see the, what the, you know, it's rising up the, but, most of the interesting thing that's going on in a forest is, is on the forest floor or under the forest floor mm-hmm. um, where there's a lot of death going on and deconstruction that brings new life. Like life and death are in this, in the natural world, life and death are so inextricably linked that mm-hmm. one, you know, like the, one can't exist without the other. And I think that has important things to tell, to teach us as well. So I just wonder in this metaverse world, if, we're trying to extinguish some of those things that uh, Nephi may have been right. It, death can seem like an awful monster, but I also, I also think like life without death could be hell. <laughs> right. Well, and outside of the metaphors, just in, in, in our real life right now, are, is that our goal to advance technology so much that we can just never die? You know, like that feels like one more thing that we, maybe we haven't even paused to consider if we really, if that, should that even really be our goal? Yeah, I texted. Uh, I texted some news to this group about an anti-aging, uh, like a hundred million dollars have been invested in an anti-aging company. And Carl responded, "Hey, that's great news." And Bill said, "Hmm." Dot, dot, dot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think there was illustrated some, you know, potential, potentially diverging viewpoints on that. Yeah, totally. Um, well, you know, one thing that's really interesting also that there are seeds in our own sort of religious tradition that um you know technology and science and and the things that we're doing to sort of improve our condition here may be you know just a an aspect that the same aspects of humanity that we're talking about are an aspect of godliness really um Mm -hmm. and that god you know uh doesn't actually do things um by magic so to speak right but that actually when when you know for example there's this really just casual passage in the Book of Mormon that I find quite fascinating where um, I think Mormon is saying, you know, I was wondering if um, the three Nephites had to experience a change in their bodies. And he said, I have since inquired of the Lord. And 
he said that, yes, they would have actually died if they had not undergone some kind of a physical change um, in order to live forever, right? And so, so the idea there is that actually God is changing something with, our, with their physical structure in order to achieve immortality. It's not just some sort of like, Mm-hmm. Aloha, Hamora. Yeah. You know, yeah. kind of like, uh, <laughs> well, that only unlocks things. So I'm not sure why that would do anything. But I, I, yeah, but that that's a really cool point. Like you're, so you're basically saying like, is God working through technology to heal us? Absolutely. And, I mean, yeah. I really feel that way, and I feel that I, um, so that I could just cart out a bunch of quotes from early uh, leaders you, of the church. You know, you know, I think great. I think we should probably actually have this conversation because this gets into the whole transhumanist. Um, uh, project, yeah. which is super interesting, actually. Definitely. And I have super, I have some real reservations about, but I found it actually, they're asking incredibly interesting mm-hmm. questions and having incredibly interesting discussions about this. Um, and so we probably could, we probably should devote some time to just yeah. talking about that. Yeah, definitely. Can you define transhumanism? Can you? Yeah. So um, it's a weird word that, you know, it seems a little strange at first, but it's actually was first used by Dante. Um, and he talked about it as a way of going beyond what is human, sort of like um, approaching the angels or, mm. you know, the gods or whatever. Um, but uh, it really, I, th- I like to think of it as that to be human is to be in a state of transition towards something greater. And so transhumanism is just kind of like trying to make that more concrete and say, you know, um, that, humans are always trying to transcend their boundaries and move beyond to um, something even more than they're currently. But it's beyond something that we wouldn't recognize today as human experience. Perhaps depending on how that's what transhuman means. Like it's you're, you're in this state between what we now recognize as human experience and Mm -hmm. some other kind of experience that we might not like looking at it, looking ahead, you might say that's not even human. It, yeah, perhaps like the, and, and often people will use a term like post humanity to talk mm-hmm. about some sort of state that's sufficiently advanced that it no longer resembles our, what we currently think of as human. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that in that term is sort of, you know, embedded this idea that um, that that's in our nature. Right. To always transcend. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so the, the idea that we are helping that transcendence along with through these technologies or that this is something that's going to happen in the same way that any evolution happens naturally. I think it's, it, it's, yeah, definitely it's kind of both of those things. But um, I think more than anything, it's sort of like just calling attention. In fact, that's what I often say that the transhumanist movement has called attention to this exponential change um, more than probably any other movement um, and trying to help people to both, um, identify it, recognize it, and then kind of be aware of the potential risks and, you know, benefits mm-hmm. of, of that, those yeah. changes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, it sounds like, um, for you at least, the transhumanist movement generally actually has a lot in line with sort of Latter-day Saint theology. Is that, is that right? Well, I, so it's interesting. We, um, some friends and I kind of were getting together regularly uh, at, at somebody's house and just on a monthly basis, like we had this forum where we could kind of talk about whatever and uh, explore a lot of interesting philosophical ideas. And, um, we, we noticed these trends and we were like, you know, it's really interesting that a lot of the progress of technology in these so-called latter days 
um, almost seems similar, eerily similar to some of the predictions of, you know, religious uh, prophets and other people who've talked about this, um, you know, day when all the secrets will be revealed and shouted from the rooftops and mm. um, when, uh, you know, that's, just good. that's interesting. Amazing, yeah. miraculous things will be happening. And, and we said, well, what if, what if it's going to happen in just like a slightly different way than we thought? You know? <laughs> yeah. And maybe, you know, you read, you know, imagine, for example, what a primitive person writing in the biblical times would have, how they would have even tried to describe something if they had seen like this, that envision or something like that, right? Yeah. So, um, so we were just starting to think, wow, what if this is how some of it's going down? And we then even went to the next step, which was like, wait, what if some of these things that we're predicting about the future depend on our choices and actions now? And it's not just something that's absolutely inevitable that we can just passively wait for. Mm -hmm. But what if the, the, that bright and hoped for future that we all um, look forward to is something that actually depends on us to some degree, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't think, I mean, that seems to me that potentially it's just the logical extension of uh, ideas that we already accept fully, which like, for example, you know, we hear that in today's day and age as Latter-day Saints, when someone is really ill and suffering, like, you know, you, you'd want to lay your hands on, on their head and give them a blessing, but you also want them to take them to the hospital or the doctor, because we consider that to be the, those medical technologies and scientific advances to be a gift from God as well. And so it's really just taking that sort of to its logical extent and saying, yes, God works through us and works through technology in addition to potentially the, I, I guess, the things that we don't understand how the process might work. Absolutely. Like, I see that our story, both as Latter-day Saints and in the broader picture of humanity, as one of where we're always seeking to do more where we can, where we can see ways of improving things, but also where we are caught in the moment right now and life can't wait always for the challenges that we have. And we do our best, we pray, we hope for a better, we bless people, but, um, but we also don't take for granted the things that have already been discovered through inspiration from God, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, you know, our, our history is replete with admonitions from our leaders of like, you know, you should definitely take advantage of the vaccine or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. kinds of uh, technological blessings are available um, to the extent we can. But obviously, there's always going to be times when we can't or when whatever we have at our disposal is not enough. And that and I, I truly believe that God is there to help us in those moments. Right. Um and I think that it's important that we don't discard either of those, that we don't say, oh, I'm just going to rely exclusively on my own awareness and know-how and whatever humanity has done already. Um, but that we, it's almost a collaborative, cooperative effort with mm -hmm. God. Yeah. 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 I love yeah. that idea because it, I, I feel like creativity seems to be like at the real core of connection to God. And so I, I like, I definitely feel resistance to this idea that maybe this, progress could be like inherently bad because it just feels like that that is so connecting to like use all of your gifts and talents and experience to create something new that feels like how you know the way we emulate god like the closest we can emulate god in some ways and so i love the idea of like we need presence we need to be in the now and and really experiencing everything around us and using everything we have to be like god and 
create with everything with everything that we have. So maybe that comes closest to answering that impulse question. What is the impulse that's driving mm. toward this? Creativity. <clears throat> Creati- yeah. Is that right? yeah. yeah. Creativity and and like a, a desire to ameliorate the human condition, mm. maybe a desire for greater connection. But but uh, I, to the, each the other. Question, the question or is, to, yeah, to, to each other. Like well. that seems to me part of that enterprise, but it's it's also like the, the question still is real like is this impulse being can it can it be and is it being hijacked, hijacked. yeah it's like yeah mm-hmm. well, i think all of us have experienced these moments where we're just in absolute awe and even profound joy at seeing um some amazing accomplishment right um, we look at the wright brothers first flight or whatever or or um neil armstrong setting foot on the moon or other uh, you know landmark achievements of humanity and tears come to our eyes and mm. the entire world is connected together in those moments, right? And um, the world sees that as a joint achievement and not just this one man, right? Um, and yeah. I think those are really profoundly, can be profoundly moving um, experiences. We can even look at it as like a step in theosis in our progress to, mm. in our progress, progression toward becoming gods, which that's a, another unique Absolutely. Like, Latter-day Saint, not necessarily new, but in okay. the Christian world, at least, kind yeah, of. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that is one of our greatest hits, you know, and I hope that we never, you know, hide that talent under a bushel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I see that was another aspect of transhumanism that I felt really kind of gelled well with um, LDS theology. Was mm-hmm. This idea of um, that it's not only our goal, our, not only our goal, or um, but it's our destiny, right, to become as our heavenly parents are. And that, um, which is learning step by step along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. We're trot, we're treading some path that they also trod, right? They didn't right. magically maybe, become the beings that they became. They, they became those beings. Right? Mm. Yeah. And maybe that's the best <clears throat> answer to this impulse. Maybe this is a godly impulse, right? Um, and so we shouldn't shy away from it or be afraid of it, but we definitely should be cautious about the, it, the ways that it can be. Uh, exercised negatively right and i wonder if there is a like a counterfeit i'm thinking of like the sunday school lesson we've all had growing up that you know every every like godly feeling has some sort of counter counterfeit and and or some like soulless version of itself that can be confused like is there a counterfeit of of this sort of like godly creativity that looks soulless and barrels forward without you know without any thought absolutely i mean uh i i think that's that's a an interesting way of framing it. Um, one of the ways that one of the things we thought of is we were thinking of ways that um, bringing this perspective of like our divine destiny into the question of human progress um, is that maybe it could improve the motivations that we have for doing these things, right? So, mm. um, whereas those who are maybe pursuing this from a completely secular perspective of just like improvement at all costs or greed like <clears throat> they almost yeah. might have a brazen approach to mm. innovation where it's like i'm going to do this by hook or by crook and in fact in the scriptures we have an example of that didn't go so well right it's the um sort of allegorical tower of babel yeah, right, right. It's a pretty good Ooh, that's a really good mm. yeah. yeah absolutely that's a great point but i mean i think that um part of what well, we can we can attribute various reasons why it went wrong, right? Um, but I think that the the message is just that um, you know uh, pursuing something without uh, an understanding of its greater purpose is 
could be self-destructive, right? Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately doesn't achieve the, the goals that um, that God has for humanity, right? So uh, I think that... Yeah, so it's, all, it's also worth bringing up that the result of that was that everyone ended up with a different language, which like yeah. they started out with a common understanding of the world and then it ends up in this mass fragmentation wow. where you don't even share the same. A language is the way you see reality, right? And that, yeah. And I, you can wow. kind of see that in the way um, this is playing out today where you've got people separating the tribes. They don't even share the same set of assumptions anymore, mm -hmm. the same set of facts. It's like our languages have been confounded, you know? So, yeah, that's wow. A, that's, wow. A great, that's a really interesting um, point. That's a great way of like making that story more current for our, for our current yeah. time. Yeah. I enjoy it. That's interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that these, we can find in these biblical passages, like applications to our current um, challenges. And that's what they're best for. In mm. my opinion, is not to try to, you know, pinpoint their exact, you know, when, what time and place did they occur, but more this like is our first we... Old Testament. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, go. exactly. <laughs> January. Yeah. Yeah. Carl, will you kind of sum up this conversation? What do you feel like is the takeaway for a Latter-day Saint family who, you know, is unsure about where this is going, is maybe recognizing some of the problems that they have right now with technology in their, in their own family? You know, what, what is, what is the takeaway? Yeah. So, um, as I think about this, uh, one thing that comes to mind right away is this great uh, talk by Elder Neil A. Maxwell, where he talked about two types of Latter-day Saints. He said, there are some who disengage from the world and who kind of try to flee and escape and almost seem to delight when bad things happen because they think, I guess, that the end is nigh or whatever. But then there are others who he says um, won't you know, leave their posts even while um, the turbulent Nineveh still stands, right? And, and he describes them um, as being more like Joseph, uh, who in an alien culture um, was still able to make friends and interact and um, help people out of the, the famine that they experienced and really be an instrument for positive change in the world. And so I think our calling is not to escape from the world, um, but to recognize that there are challenges that new technologies bring both blessings and um, potential negative consequences to recognize that we can't go backwards, um, that we have to move forward from where we're at, um, but not completely disengage. Right. Because you could you could disengage. And a, a lot of Latter-day Saints will say this is crazy. Now, this is that scenario where the world is going to come unwound. Right. Jesus is going to come save us. Let's let, let's pull in the drawbridges. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and there's a there's a narrative where that would lead to disengagement there. Right. Right. Absolutely. And 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 if, and if we disengage, then also what we could bring to the conversation gets lost. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a, a that could be a tragedy. I, if I we agree. Took that. Yeah, I agree. I think that the calling is really for us to engage with the world, um, not to see all of this as universally negative. But to recognize that it has some challenges and to prayerfully, you know, work through those. Cool. That's Thank great, you so much, yeah. Carl. Thank Appreciate you. your insights. Before we go, I know you've got your organization's got a, a conference coming up um, that sounded really interesting. Do you want to give the quick pitch on that? Yeah, I'd love to. So we uh, are doing a conference on the topic of decentralization of power. 
and why this decentralization is really important for us to avoid some of the challenges that we're talking about with concentration of power in the hands of corporations and other things like that. Mm-hmm. And also how this um, plays out in a lot of technologies that were that are up and coming today. Um, we're bringing in some top uh, speakers, uh, both in the technology space as well as the uh, LDS space. So we have a... Uh, a keynote speaker who's a famous podcaster, Laura Shin, um, who has really been covering the blockchain community really well. And another uh, Mormon keynote speaker who is um, Tamika Tilleman, who is at uh, Andreas and Horowitz, one of the major venture capital firms that is funding a lot of the companies that are building new things in, in blockchain technology. And a lot of other fun speakers who are talking about various things related, related to decentralization. And uh, that's going to take place March 19th on a Saturday. And um, we'll be, uh, the registration for that conference should be live as this, is, as this goes live. And uh, really excited to have people come to the conference and learn more about it. Awesome. Yeah, we're excited about it. Let's go. <clears throat> thanks we're so much, Carl. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Carl Youngblood. To find out more about the Mormon Transhumanist Association's annual conference, you can head to mtaconf.org. That's mtaconf.org. Carl was also generous enough to offer Faith Matters listeners a discount code. Just enter FMFRIEND, all caps, one word, for 20% off the ticket price. Big thanks to Carl for coming on. And that's it for this week. Thanks as always for listening. And of course, you can always check out more at faithmatters.org.